This is Haunted America Radio. With your host, Al Shepard. And now, Haunted America Radio. Hello, everyone. Here's another one of my old radio shows that my co-host Josh Mantello and I did back in 2009. This is an interview with Mark Nesbitt, the author of Ghosts of Gettysburg. He's joined by Patty Wilson and Scott Crownover. We had a little bit of phone issues uh, and a little bit of the normal issues with Blog Talk Radio that always used to happen every episode back in the day. But it's definitely a good interview. And now back to Haunted America Radio. We are waiting for our guests to call in. Uh, we uh, have scheduled this evening Mark Nesbitt, author of Ghosts of Gettysburg, founder of the Gettysburg Candlelight Walking Tour, which was voted the number one ghost tour in the world for 2009. And he's going to be joined by author Patty Wilson. The two of them co-authored Pennsylvania Ghosts. And Scott Crownover, who is a co-founder of the Ghost Research Foundation and inventor of the Crownover Method of Spirit Photography, which uh, we're waiting to uh, speak to him on all kinds of all kinds of topics here. So I am just uh, waiting for the phone to ring here. So if it doesn't, I'm going to give them a call in a few minutes. So we'll uh, give them a few minutes, see what we get. Anything else you wanted to discuss quick, uh, Josh? I'm pretty much uh, eager to get these uh, guests on the line, and uh, I know I have a few questions I want to ask, and uh, especially about the um, spirit photography uh, technique. Actually, while I'm sitting here at the computer, I'm going to Google it and uh, see what uh, <laughs> see what pops up. Um, kind of interested in uh, what it uh, entails. Yeah, I'm not real sure exactly. That's why uh, I've been waiting. Well, we've got uh, we've got someone on the line here. Let's see who we've got here. Okay, who do we have here on the line with us? Is this Alan? This is Alan and Josh, and you're on the air. Is this Mark? Yes, it is. You're calling from a different phone number than what your wife said you were going to. <laughs> oh, I am. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> well, I asked her for the phone number just so I could either recognize it when you popped up in the switchboard or uh, or call you if uh, if time went by and we didn't have you on the line. And she yeah. sent me she sent me a four four three area code phone number. Four four three area code phone number. Okay, that explains it. Yeah, well, I'm calling from a different number. Okay, well, obviously. <laughs> but anyways, we are we are been excited here waiting for you for for weeks now um is uh patty and scott going to join us like they uh said they would or i haven't talked to them. i believe so carol said that uh, they were going to uh, be joining us so okay second. all righty well while they're doing that i just got done uh telling everyone uh somewhat a little bit about you uh i've been eager to talk to you because uh I've been doing Civil War reenacting since 1997. Oh, wow, and, great. And, and Gettysburg is kind of that place where 
my my love of the Civil War and my love of the paranormal came together. So uh, you definitely got a lot of good stories down there, that's for sure. And and I must say, I'm glad to see that tower is gone down there. That really ruined it for me when I went down there. It did take something away from it. There's no doubt about that. So you've got so many things here on your bio, I'm not sure where to start. So maybe I'll just ask you, uh, uh, hey, please, please, where would you like? So no, not all of them, okay? We'll be on too long. <laughs> well, exactly. So I'm just going to ask you where you want to start. Um, what you'd like to, uh, what you'd like to speak about, or what you'd like to uh, our listeners to know about. Well, I think that maybe the few more, most important things about it, number one uh, is that I was a park ranger there at Gettysburg for a number of years. So I got kind of like an inside uh, 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 look at a lot of the stuff that was going on. Um, being the bachelor at that time in the park, they moved me to a lot of the different historic houses that are right on the park itself. And, of course, I'd go into the house and I'd say, uh, you know, I'd, I'd ask my bosses, what's the, uh, you know, what's the history? And they hand me a nice big packet. And telling me all the history on the on the house, and then I'd say, okay, what are the ghost stories about it, you know? And uh, nobody would talk about the ghost stories uh, in the in in the official realm of the National Park Service. Um, that's just not part of their, uh, you know, the official line is there are no such things as ghosts, and there certainly aren't any here at Gettysburg. In the meantime, since then, I've collected over a thousand stories about Gettysburg, and they keep coming in. But at any rate, they. I did collect some of the stories of those houses from the people who lived in the houses before me. And it was interesting because things that they talked about, like um, doors not being able to be kept closed or babies crying in a house where there are no children, um, they started happening to me, too. I so think that, uh, a, a couple of the stories that, that stand out in my mind is one, I think, is when they were filming the movie Gettysburg, I heard a story of a uh, a phantom soldier stepping out of the woods and actually handing them a, uh, a round and then yeah, stepping back into the woods. That happened to a good friend of mine, and he was, uh, he was pretty much astounded for a couple of reasons. Number one, at the authenticity of this guy. You know, um, reenactors can be pretty authentic, and, and this guy was a you know, reenactor and had been a reenactor for quite a while. But he said the fellow that came up Little Round Top and came out of the the bushes, he said that he'd never seen a, a, a reenactor as authentic as this guy. He really looked rough and rugged. And the other thing is that when he reached in his cartridge pouch, he pulled out uh, a, a couple of rounds and handed them to him. And he looked at these rounds, and they were like museum pieces. You know, they had... Uh, uh, the, the wax, coating of beeswax on them. They were tied perfectly. They had the powder in them. Then he felt the mini ball inside. And as you know, you're not allowed to carry live ammunition on the National Park. And everyone is inspected. And um, he uh, realized that something was, was strange here. And he looked up and the guy had vanished. He just kind of wandered down to the, you know, a few steps down the hill and just disappeared. And he said he kept the rounds, but when he got them home, he put them in a case, and within a month, the paper and the uh, and and everything had just kind of disintegrated around the round. There's just a little pile of uh, of uh, powder, black powder, and the round, uh, the bullet that was there. So he 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 is convinced that he had an encounter, um, and I'm not sure if he knew 
that it what it was called that it was called in a port you know when something is passed from the other world into this and it's not i mean it's not common but it's it's it, you know there are records of things like that happening so that was a, yeah that's a pretty pretty impressive uh, story that he told me and and the other one that stood out in my mind i mean i've read i think all the ghost of gettysburg series but the the other one that really stands out with me is the the i think it was a couple of women that went down the elevator and when the doors opened there's a civil war hospital yeah i'll tell you alan that is a classic because of well a couple of reasons first of all it's kind of a classic horror story because you know the two the, everything lined up perfectly in terms of of the history and what happened to these these ladies you know as you know pennsylvania hall was the site of this and at the time of the battle it became one of the largest field hospitals because it was one of the bigger uh, buildings around and um, both Union and Confederate used Confederates used it and um, the uh, lower floors are usually used as hospitals um, and then the upper floors were for recovery rooms and I have to fast forward up into the 1980s and I knew these women who were working at Gettysburg College now the Pennsylvania Hall now is and was then the administration building for Gettysburg College and they were working late one night and uh, it was about 11 o'clock. Everybody else was gone, and they decided time to pack it, pack it up, and you know, head out. And they got in the elevator, and the elevator went down to um, the first floor where the exits are, and then continued down to the into the basement. And the doors opened, and as you said, they got a vision into the past. It was a hospital scene, and they described it, and it was. Um, uh, some of the some of the things they said, you'd have to be a pretty good historian to uh, um, know that it was it was actually the way it looked. They talked about a a door that had been put across two barrels as an operating table. They talked about the surgeon and in a bloody apron behind uh, a fella on this door who was about to be operated on. Excuse me, men in blood dampened corners all around and. Um, and then an orderly that came close to them. Now, of course, they're trying to—they're punching the buttons, trying to get the doors closed. The doors would not close. The um, the, the the horror aspect of this is there's nowhere to go. They were in an elevator. They had a they had uh, walls behind them and on two sides, and um, there was no place to go. Finally, the doors closed, and the elevator went up. They went immediately over to the security. Uh, Said or a building that was oh, maybe 50 yards away, so it wasn't that long. And they told the fellow that was on security, and I interviewed him, and he said, "Oh yeah, they were scared to death." And uh, but we went back over there. He said, "We got in the elevator, and we went down." I'm thinking these are a couple of pretty brave women. We got in the elevator, and they went down. The doors opened, and it, there was nothing. It was it was pristine. It was there was it was all whitewashed as it is now. There was the cage where they put all the uh, supplies and lock them up and and about 10 feet from the opening of the elevator is a is a um uh cinder block wall that holds all the electrical panels and everything and the other interesting thing about that is i was doing an autograph session at gettysburg college and a couple came up to me and said we know that woman that that happened to and i said oh you you knew such and such and they said no and i said well then you must have known such and such because that's the other one and they're like no they gave me a completely different name of a woman and different circumstances in that she was a 
um, an accountant working for an accounting firm doing an audit at Gettysburg College. Um, on the, she was on the, the upper floor, and they asked her to go down to the car to get some paperwork. And she went down, and, and I, she lives in Denver now, and I called her up and interviewed her, and she gave me exactly the same description of this basement scene, this hospital scene. So that's actually three people that I had that, that, that witnessed that scene. And there may be another one. I'm trying to track it down now. So that's, you know, that is truly one of the more scary stories of Gettysburg. Now, were, were the two different people that experienced it, was there any correlation of, you know, time of day or time of year or anything like that or just random? Uh, not that I know of. It was just random. In other words, the one happened at 11 o'clock at night. The other one happened in the middle of the afternoon. Yes. So it doesn't matter when you get on an elevator. you got to be aware. Oh, <laughs> as much as I want to hog the conversation with you, i got to let Josh get in here. Uh, Josh, you got any uh, quest- questions for Mark? Oh, God, I'm sure they'll pop up. we got another hour to go still. Um, no, Gettysburg has always amazed me. Um, I've been investigating myself for about eight years now. I've had the privilege of actually going to Gettysburg twice and never actually been able to investigate, um, unfortunately. I, I, the last time I went down, I had brought my equipment with me. I had a full plan on it. It was a family vacation. We were stationed down in Frederick, Maryland. And I said, okay, the last day of the trip, I'm going to go and I'm going to go to Gettysburg and bring my equipment. And who would have thought, though, but it poured and rained the entire day and night and it kind of <laughs> ruined it on me and then I get a chance to go and investigate. I was able to go up and, um, you know, do the tourist thing, see the monuments and the reenactment. Just as phenomenal. But um, I, some friends of mine just recently went out there. I think they were with you for a little while. Ron Cole, like a good friend of mine, was just out oh, yeah. there. Oh, yeah. And some uh, had a great time. Uh, Paul left with another colleague, a good friend of mine. Uh, one of my former investigators who started his own group was just out there doing some investigating. That is just amazing. Um, they come back with such incredible stories of evidence and personal experiences. Um, probably the best one I know of is um, Paul. He just went out and he brought up uh, the obvious with him. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's kind of a newer piece of equipment that, that measures um, ambient energy and will trans, um, translate it into voice. And while they're actually out into the battlefield where there shouldn't really be any ambient energy um, at least um, the, uh, the machine started talking away. Um, I wish I could remember off the top of my head what he said it, you know, it said to them, but it was relevant. Uh, it's amazing. Um, it, it's you know, a great place. Um, anybody who ever wants to go, they have to go out there um, and get a chance to investigate. Uh, well, you, you know, if you're serious about uh, investigating paranormal investigations, I mean, a Civil War battlefield or any battlefield actually is, is like a, a huge laboratory, and uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, the 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 battle itself was like a perfect storm for creating ghosts. You know what I mean? It had everything. You know, youthful death, unexpected death, sudden violent death, unconsecrated burials, um, uh, uh, fear of judgment. You have everything there that would cause a person not to want to move on. And the other thing is, is that you have the documentation. For example, if you know, I could take you to places on that battlefield, as a historian, I know who died there or who fought there or what unit was there. 
And so you can ask, you can say, you know, what, what Georgia, can you give me a, a regimental number? You know, if you're talking to a Georgian, and I can tell you where the 15th Georgia fought on that battlefield. So in other words, you can, you know, you document your results, your paranormal results with, with uh, historical uh, fact. So that's what's kind of neat about battlefields, and that's why I'm kind of drawn to them, why I like doing Gettysburg and Fredericksburg and, and some of the other battles in the Civil War. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what you did, Josh. You dropped out for a minute, and then you you called back in, and now you sound like you're in a tin can. So I don't know if you're on a different phone or what, but uh, you don't sound good like you did earlier. No, I'll give you a minute. I'll call right back then. Um, let, me, uh, let me try again here. I've, I've been having phone problems since I tried calling in in the first place. All righty. Okay, let's give him a second to uh, fix his phone problems. Um, what would you say is the most haunted part of the battlefield? Devil's Den or the, or the, uh, the, can't even think of it, the, the main field where Pickett's Charge took yeah. place? Well, you know, Alan, that's interesting because it seems to change. Uh, a couple of years ago, I heard that Spangler Spring was very, very active. Um, shadow people, uh, I got another, we got another sighting of the, of the woman in white who is, um, it seems to be a residual spirit that, that, that shows up and has, has shown up, oh, maybe 50, 80 years uh, periodically. And um, for a while, that was very, very active. And then, um, but it changed, you know. But I think that places that you can go and can almost be guaranteed of having some kind of activity, as you mentioned, Devil's Den, that's one place. And then right next to Devil's Den is a place called the Triangular Field. Well, I was going to ask, that was my next question, is I saw the video footage, I think, on YouTube of somebody where they shot, and you can see these soldiers going up through the woods, but but basically not following the 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 lay of the land as it is today. Right. And uh, that, just, that was a real interesting... Uh, video and I know they've caught lots of weird things in the triangular field there. Well that's that's the place where cameras always well not always but frequently seem to go on the blink. I've had at least oh probably maybe eight or ten different times when cameras and everything from, you know, my own uh four hundred dollar Minolta thirty five millimeter to um a uh digital camera to fifteen thousand dollar professional cameras from tv studios that just go on the blink for some reason batteries die i mean battery packs you know the ones they wear around their waists those great big ones they die we had three of those die <laughs> and the guy had 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 them in the truck and was had them had them uh charging the whole time he they were in the truck so cameras for some reason uh seem to be affected and and batteries die and things like that things like that and th so maybe that's why I know at least two people have gotten some very, very unusual uh, video. The one that you mentioned that was on YouTube, and then there's another one that was uh, that looked like a, uh, a couple of men going over the wall, one of the walls down there. So that's a, you know, and it's um, it's, it's very unusual because Dale Kazmarek from the uh, Ghost, I believe it's Ghost Research Society out in Chicago, um, came to Gettysburg one time and. Uh, took me out to lunch and we were talking and he said, how about this triangular field place? And I said, well, I, you know, I wish I had 
a lot of you know different and varied equipment. This is when I first started uh, uh, investigating it, so that I could I could go out there and test the field to see what it is. He says, "I got that in the trunk of my car. Let's go." So we went out to the triangular field, and he pulled out everything from EMF meters to Geiger counters to uh, static electricity detectors, and we swept that field uh, with five different uh, very sensitive meters and everything flatlined. That field is as common as your backyard, Alan. There's there's nothing there that, you know, I, I thought maybe there was a lodestone or something buried in the ground. Nothing. It's just, and so whatever it is has nothing to do with the natural uh, aspects of the triangular fields. I don't know what it is. Well, I that's, think I know what that's it is. That's <laughs> weird. Yeah, exactly. That, that's weird. Uh, All right. I don't know. You're back on. You All right. Um, I, you, I missed something there. Um, I want to type in before I forget about this. Um, you, you said the triangle field, and you said about or a loaded stone. That actually happened to be where my buddy Paul was um, investigating with this uh, piece of equipment that measures energy, and that was getting readings out in the middle of nowhere. Was um, now that you said it was the triangle field there. Right. And so there, what, I, what I was saying basically is that energy that he was picking up um, had to be paranormal. It wasn't. It wasn't anything that's uh, in the ground or under buried under the ground or anything. It had to be paranormal. Yeah. Um. This is kind of a uh, a question I ask um, quite often uh, when we're talking about haunted location. Um. Obviously, you know, the biggest reason I feel that you know Gettysburg is haunted. The reason why anybody thinks it is the mass amount of tragedy and death that happened with it. Well, a lot of times when you hear about haunting, you hear about the geography of the land. And this is something I never really looked into. Maybe you know it. Um, a lot of times you hear about how limestone deposits in the ground will help um, enhance the energy of an area um, to make it more suitable for haunting, paranormal activity, um, running water into the ground or nearby. Is there anything like that has ever been looked into with the Gettysburg area? Um, well, that's one of the things that I kind of uh... – put forth in one of my books is the geology of the of the battlefield was has something to it for example there's a lot of granite i mean it's granite outcroppings all over the place all the stone walls that you see are made of granite um the um foundations of most of the older houses in gettysburg are made of granite and the um the brick the salmon colored brick that a lot of the houses including the one we run the ghost tours out of there is is filled with this it's local, so it's filled with this granite or and of course granite is filled with quartz. So right. I'm thinking that maybe there's a, a connection there with all that quartz and all the energy that was given off by men dying, you know, the emotional energy, the piezoelectric effect when bones are broken, and that's exactly what happens when you're shot with a uh, 58 caliber mini ball, uh, a lot of energy was, was given off. Was it, now here's the question, was it ex absorbed by these, this quartz in the, in the houses and in the, in the fields of Gettysburg and then is released periodically so that we, we hear things or see things? Um, that's the question. The other question, of course, is what are the conditions that you need to make this happen? Then we could experiment with it, you know. Then we'd know what it is, like a giant recording. So yeah, there is something something to this uh, geology um, aspect of the, uh, uh, you know, what co could could trap uh, energies. So, Josh, I think yeah, you know, you you have something there. 
I don't know. I don't know what Josh has got going on in the background there, thumping and clumping and beeping and banging and everything else. There, you you cooking dinner or what are you doing there? I'm better. I, I had to actually run out of the house for a minute. That's what it was. I thought I completely forgot about that. I'm just gonna put it here for a minute, but taking care. Of it. Um, yeah, that's funny. Um, one thing too, I, I a little bit off subject, but it'll only take a second. Um, you're talking about like the granite. Um, Al, I'm sure you're familiar with this area. Um, with the Hoosick Tunnel off, one of the most famous hauntings um, in, in Massachusetts where 200 people lost their lives in the making of this tunnel, and that was a granite mountain. Um, you know, all the stone taken out of there was a big granite, granite rocks, um, kind of the same concept. Well, I also know that uh, Charlie Adams, who is another uh, ghost writer from Pennsylvania, took a, uh, a map uh, of Pennsylvania and put, put a piece of mylar on it and and put where all his stories came from, you know, the different uh, concentrations of stories. And then he took that same Mylar map and, and put it as an overlay on a map of the iron deposits in Pennsylvania, and they seem to match up. So yeah. that could be another uh, part of the geology, too. Mineral deposits, mineral deposits, uh, uh, quartz deposits, uh, limestone, you know, this is stuff that we gotta we have to do more research into. All right. Absolutely. Um I got a got a question for you from the uh from the chat room here. Uh, are you familiar with the General Crook Trail that passes through northern Arizona? No, I'm not. Okay. Okay, because he was wondering if you'd ever heard of any encounters or paranormal legends from there, but I wasn't sure if you'd ever uh, been in that part of the area or not. So never been to Arizona. It's on my list, so it's a place I want to go. Uh, it's mo mostly battlefields I've been to. Uh, I guess the, the farthest west battlefield that I've been to is, was uh, uh, Pea Ridge in Arkansas, Wilson's Creek. Uh, the, but I wasn't into the paranormal at that time. I was just doing the history. But the one that I that I did, and this may have something to do with the geology too, is a is Vicksburg. I went to Vicksburg this past year on a when we were doing a an investigation down in New Orleans, New Orleans, and um, one of them, one of my buddies from the Park Service uh, is chief historian down there now. It's kind of funny because you know all my friends that I worked with at Gettysburg back when I first started stayed in the Park Service, and they're all chief this and chief that and superintendent, and I <laughs> I didn't quite make it that far. So I think it's kind of funny, but uh, he was there, and I was asking him about Vicksburg. I said, uh, I asked him, could you tell me about the ghost stories of the battlefield? And he looked at me and said, Mark, you know what? He said, I've been here 30 years. Now, I've heard ghost stories of the town, but I haven't heard any of the battlefield. And I said, that almost seems impossible. He said, I haven't heard one. He said, I said, well, then tell me this. What is the geology of this area, of the battlefield? He said, Mississippi silt for a hundred feet down. Granite. Ew. Being here, being in the area we are, uh, we could probably relate some the same way. Um, you know, we're both within a very close proximity of the Revolutionary War Battle of Bennington, um, and I have never really heard any massive, great hauntings or paranormal activity stories of that battlefield. Uh, it's a battlefield like any other battlefield. Um, the amount of death might not be the same as, say, in Gettysburg, but it's a battlefield nonetheless. 
Um, I, and now I don't really know the geography of that particular area. It's actually in New York, not in um, the Bennington, Vermont area, but uh, the same concept. Um, you know, it, it was a battlefield, um, and yet there's still really not a massive amount of hauntings or paranormal activity associated with it. So maybe there is a little bit more than just having the massive tragedy and death and emotionalness involved with the battle that creates it. Yeah, we got uh, somebody else uh, just called in here. I don't know if it's uh, one of our other guests or uh, someone listening. We're going to bring him in here for a second. Uh, area code 814. Who do we got here? Hello? Hello? Area, no, they're still here. Area code 814. I'm not quite sure who this is. If that ring, area code rings a bell with anybody. But uh, they... Uh, Hello? Huh. Hello? Hi. Who's that? Who's this? This is uh, Patty Wilson. Oh, there you are. Yeah. We've been looking for you. We've <laughs> problems. Our lines have been dead and... For the last half hour, we've been switching phones and trying to figure out what the heck's going on. We're not sure how we figured it out. Well, we don't haven't figured it out, but we're here anyway, temporarily. <laughs> Terribly sorry about that. Oh, no problem. We, there's not a show that doesn't go by where one of my phones or Al's phone doesn't die on us either in the middle of the show, so it's okay. Yeah, the first 10 minutes of the show was dead air today, because so <laughs> neither one of us could get in. But Mark's been keeping us company here, I'm so... A good company with Mark. He's a wonderful storyteller. Hi, Patty. How you doing? Hi, Mark. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right. I think the cat might have bit the cord. <laughs> which cat? Yeah. Yeah, which cat? <laughs> all right. I didn't mean to interrupt the uh, the conversation you had going there, Josh. Oh, that's fine. I, I, uh, one quick other thing. Um, is to talk to Mark before we start changing gears a little bit. Um, you know, is and this is another thing I always feel very strongly about when it comes to the paranormal, um, is that you have to, you almost have to kind of be an amateur history buff at the same time. Um, I think the people who really do this, um, the paranormal investigating and trying to be ghost hunters, uh, it, without some sort of knowledge or respect for history, are really doing it at, in, a, in a lost cause kind of way. Um, I think. If you have to try to tour them together, and what better place to do it is it with Gettysburg? Um, you can yeah, learn. I, I agree. I agree because, well, you know, and also you don't have to, like you said, you 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 said it correctly, Josh. An amateur historian, you don't have to be, you don't have to have a degree in history or anything, but you have to have an interest so that before you go to a place to do an investigation, you'll do at least a little bit of research, um, so you know some names if you're going to try and get EVP. You'll have names that, that uh, make sense, uh, that, that uh, perhaps you can uh, 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 contact, and um, also regiment numbers, unit numbers, um, the, uh, the sites where the battle was, was, was very, you know, vicious, particularly vicious. And, um, uh, but a lot of that stuff you can pick up not only on the Internet, so it's not really, a, you don't have to do a lot of research, but you can also get it right on the battlefield itself. Most of them have monuments. A lot of people don't realize this, but a lot of the monuments have names of individuals on them, and those are usually the ones, the men who fought and were wounded or died in the battle from that particular unit. So you can use the battlefield itself 
as a, uh, a documentation for whatever kind of paranormal research you're going to do. I know my uh, ancestor, great uncle, fought uh, at Gettysburg with the 123rd New York and uh, also spent eight months in Andersonville. Sure. And I was a, a little upset to find that they have no record of him in the Andersonville uh, archives. Oh, so I'm gonna when I get around to having some free time, I've got to uh, send copies of his military records down there to them so they can get him added to the database. And uh, how, how he made it through eight months, I'll, I'll never know. But uh, maybe you know this. Uh, he drew a military pension of ten dollars a month, but he didn't draw it till the 1880s. So obviously it wasn't a military-related thing back then. It must be as long as you served in the military, you were entitled to uh, some type of uh, disability payment, even if you got wounded later on or something. I don't know how that worked, but it says he fell off a horse in New Mexico and he wound up with a disability benefit of ten dollars a month. So yeah, and I don't know how that works. It wasn't necessarily the soldier that got it. The soldier would die, and his wife would apply for uh, pension. Yeah, actually, after he died, she applied, and I think at that time it was up to $90 a month that she actually got. So. Yeah, yeah. So that, and, you know, it, it, they had different rules back then uh, for, for a lot of the stuff, but, uh, yeah, that, that, that makes sense that, that it wouldn't have been until the 1880s or so when he, when he needed it. Well, anyways, I don't want to leave Patty out here. Um, so, Patty, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and we've already got somebody in the chat room that wants to call in and ask you a question already. So um, tell us about Patty. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, I'm the author of um, Haunted Pennsylvania with Mark and the Big Book of Pennsylvania Ghost Stories again with Mark. I've written um, probably close to a dozen books by now, uh, Pennsylvania Ghost Guide Volumes 1 and 2, uh, Haunted North Carolina, Haunted West Virginia. I spent pretty much my entire life um, dealing with the paranormal. I'm a little sensitive, and uh, but I write my books mostly from a historical perspective, telling the stories of the people involved, and I don't give you know what I thought or felt or any of that stuff in the in the stories. Mark and I have worked together for, gosh, I guess what 12, 13 years now, Mark. About that, yeah, yeah. Um, and we've been friends a long time, and I am blessed to call this guy a good friend. Thank you, Patty. You're very welcome. You know, Patty is... Boy, this sounds, this sounds like a send-out cards moment. <laughs> Patty's being very, very modest, okay? Patty knows more ghost stories of the state of Pennsylvania than anybody I've ever met. And when she said she's a little bit sensitive, <laughs> we, we uh, on our investigations, we do use her as a medium. Uh, so she can not only uh, write and research, but also can help us out with her impressions of a uh, of a site, so it's really it's she's part of our our team that we uh, were on um, the uh, um, mysterious journeys program about um, two years ago. They filmed in Gettysburg. You'll probably still see it. It's on the Travel Channel, and uh, Patty helps us out with our mysterious journeys weekend, and uh, is very very helpful using her her natural uh, sensitivity to the uh, paranormal. So she's being modest when she's when she says she's a little bit sensitive. <laughs> oh, I, I was wondering how you be a little bit sensitive, you know. It's like I always thought it was either you are or you aren't. Um. <laughs> I 
with you. I've always been really cagey about that. And uh, until a few years ago, and Mark's wife, Carol, found me out. She drug me out of the closet and said, you are sensitive and you're going to, you know, you need to work with this. And it is honestly through the Mark's patience and his wife's patience and their love that I felt safe enough to actually talk about it. You know, I really was afraid of being the crazy lady with a cast can. I didn't want people to think that. I'm a mom. I've got three kids. And and Mark likes to make the joke that his mediums are really soccer moms. And we are. We just are like everybody else. And he gives you that sense of it's okay to be yourself and to talk about it. And I love that about him. Well, I've had, we've had a couple of psychics on the show here. One of them was a school teacher. And, uh, and I actually mistakenly outed her here on the show. And, uh, <laughs> but she told me that's okay. That's okay. Because the voices told her three days ahead of time that I was going to ask that question. So she was already prepared. She was already prepared for it. And, she has since then left her job. <laughs> I hope it wasn't because of me, but uh, I don't know. Now, Patty is. I don't think our listening audience is quite that big. We're in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> we've got school boards listening, and <laughs> now, oh, Patty, is Scott with you? He is. We're like we're down to one phone at this point, so you have to bear oh, with us. <laughs> okay, I just I just didn't want to leave him out if he's there with you. So, uh, like I said, we're down to one phone. Do you want to talk to him? Well, I know uh, Josh is heavily into uh, spirit photography, so I know he wants to uh, definitely shoot some questions over to him. Um, but uh, I'm trying to figure out how we do this without leaving anybody out. <laughs> you know what? He and I are sitting here together, so it's perfectly fine. I, I, we apologize. We have three phones, and two of them aren't working. So. Oh, that's perfectly fine. Oh, that's okay. Well, I mean, look at look at Josh. He sounds like he's two rooms away from the phone. So. <laughs> uh, that's what happens when I'm using my cell. It's just you, know, you can never tell. Maybe if I sit in a different spot, I'll sound fine. Well, see, we have a cell phone as well, but our problem is we're sitting in a little dip, and we live in rural Pennsylvania, so we literally have to get in the car and go a quarter mile away for our cell phone to work. It's pretty yeah. hot here. That happens. <laughs> All right, so. I don't know where to start with everybody here. Um, is, is, do you do you have a uh, a story uh, that all three of you are involved in that you could uh, share with us that everybody can get in on here? I know you must have done some uh, some investigations together or something. Any good stories? Well, I wasn't there when Scott um, took the photos, but I've seen those photos that that uh, Josh is probably to talk about, but um, he, Scott developed a technique of taking spirit photos in the daylight, and uh, it's it's really remarkable. Uh, maybe he, you know, if he's on now, he could probably tell that better than, than I can. Well, I'm going to go ahead and let him say hi and go ahead and uh, tell you about it because it is something worth your time. This is an amazing process. It's so simple, and yet, you know, Scott has done so much with it. Here he is. I do apologize for the uh, the phone problems here. I'm kind of covered in wires here, and I've been seriously working for the past 45 minutes to get something up and running. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it's just kind of kind of a little difficult. But but we are we're at least here, so that's that's a good thing. Um, the the technique. I I got to thank Mark because Mark is has been my greatest backer in this and 
it really came from the fact uh, spent a lot, I spent a lot of time in Gettysburg, and I was getting kind of upset because they were changing their hours there at the park, and you couldn't get out and and take photographs because we always thought these apparitions, these these ghosts were manifest in the infrared. That's that was that was the the idea that we had, but yet. The, the infrared cameras were fairly useless in the daylight. I thought, well, all right, if they can take the night away from us, how can I turn daylight into night? And it was it was so simple. I mean, it was it was just the matter of getting some filters, infrared filters, to put on the cameras. You block out the visible light and only let just a, a small the smallest fraction of visible light in, and mostly it's infrared and the longer wavelengths in, and then your cameras work in the daylight. You can you can basically set your camera up on a tripod, take a picture, you're going to have a long exposure, half a second or so, and do it several times and see what you get. And I tried this. first time I tried it, it was a cold, bitter March day in, in Gettysburg, and I was down at Devil's Den, and I took a, a, a long series of shots, and I didn't really recognize that I had anything until I got back to the hotel that night and saw there was a couple of apparitions at Devil's Den that were not there when I took the picture. Right. And what what was really amazing was it was like there was a Confederate with a hunched over short back cape is what it looked like down at the base rock. But you could you could see through him and see the path. And he did cast a slight shadow, but only the legs cast a shadow. And it just went on from there. And and I have to say, um, it was a great shot. I liked it. But by far the best shot that was ever taken using this technique with the infrared filters, uh, Craig Rupp took it at uh, Little Round Top next to General Warren's statue, and it shows a perfect I mean, what if you didn't? My first thought was it was it was a Union reenactor standing there, and I said, "Okay, Craig." I said, um, "I see General Warren's statue. I see the reenactor there. What am I looking for?" He says, "That's not a reenactor. There was no one there." Wow. For us in the for for us in the listening audience, are these photos anywhere on the web where we can jump over and look at them while you're talking about them? Yeah, um, actually, if you want to, if anybody wants to see them, we have them on our website. It's uh, www.ghostsrus.com, just like Toys R Us, and and the shots are up there, and you can see them, and you can email us with any questions you have about it, the technique. It, it's it's simply a matter of putting an infrared filter on a digital camera, and playing with the time exposure if you need to. Uh, also depends on your camera. Uh, everything is uh, there's so many variables, but and, and you just got to play with it, and that's what I did. It took me a while to to figure out what worked best, but it's not it's not rocket science. It's it's simply throwing the filter on the camera, attaching it whichever way you can. Um, for me, uh, I use Teflon tape because uh, okay, I I really don't want to go out and spend two hundred and seventy dollars for a, a filter and adapter that will fit on that on my camera when I can just simply take some Teflon tape and wrap a few wraps around it and put it on the, the uh, lens housing that extends now. Right. Uh, is there any um, 
the actual market um, infrared filters out there that you know of um, that would fit? Um, I use I use a digital SLR um, 35 millimeter um, size. Um, do they have anything like that? And I know I have I use a UV filter for my camera, um, like any, most photographers do. But do they have the IR one that you can attach on um, without having to put a filter over? Okay, I I don't know if I can I, I can plug anybody, but um, where I got my filters online, and you can you, you can plug them. anybody you want. <laughs> well, okay. Um, and I'm not really plugging them. It's, this is just where I, I got my filters from a company called the Filter Connection. And they have a, a very wide variety of sizes to fit a lot of different cameras. So if it's out there, that's probably where you're going to find it. That's that's yeah. one of the places. Um, that's where I would look first. But you can go online and, and start keying in IR filters. Uh, the one I use is the Hoya R72. And I use that in the still camera. Now, if I'm if I'm doing video, daylight video, uh, I use an M and K 1000 for the Sony night shot. Just screw it right on; it fits right in, and you don't have to adapt it. And it's we've had a little we've had a little success with the video daylight, not as much as we have with the stills. But then again, I. A, I don't use the video as much. I, I've been, I've had some success with the stills, so that's kind of where I focus my attention to. So, it's just simply I haven't devoted the time to the video that that I have with the stills. You know, I'm one person and I can't, I can't do two things at once. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what's interesting to me, uh, Alan and Josh, is that what Scott did is he put science uh, to uh, applied science to my theories. Okay. He noticed it also in my books. I've collected almost a thousand stories of Gettysburg, and I realized that half of them happened during the day. It doesn't have to be night for a ghost to appear. And so Scott realized that also. And so that's one of the things that led him to um, the development of this technique. That and being upset with the with the National Park Service for <laughs> for changing <laughs> their hours. But um, so what he's done basically, you know, I had I basically had the theory that ghost activity wasn't just restricted to nighttime and now he's taken his technique and proved that indeed it's true you can it happens all the time it doesn't necessarily have to be night it can be daylight broad daylight and you just need the right uh, equipment to be able to detect it and in some cases you know the right equipment is 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 your eyes you know if you're particularly sensitive or, or the conditions are correct but but if you don't have eyes like like Patty or 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 some of the mediums that we have, then you need the technique that Scott's developed, and I think it's 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 great. And and we it's it's a little more complicated than he explained in that he always has a spotter behind him. I've done it with him, where he'll take a uh, he'll take a series of three or four photographs of one site, and then then turn the camera on try on the tripod maybe three degrees, but somebody's always behind him in case. A real person pops up in the right. in the uh, in the field of view, so it's it's a little more complicated. But it's 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 uh, he has it. I, I, do you have that out on uh, on the web someplace, Scott? Where you have it, or is that just in my book? Uh, no, we we actually have the the whole the whole article is on our website at uh, ghostrust.com. There you go. And uh, I just I I just went to your website, and I don't know if it was just me, but I'm having a little trouble with. Uh, 
a couple of the pages, it seems all the uh, words are running together on top of each other. Um, especially the, the, is just me? Yeah, I'm looking at it just fine. So. <laughs> okay, well, well, I, I went in the back door. I viewed the page source until I found the uh, link to the image, and then I brought up the image directly, which I posted in the chat room, uh, the, uh, the Craig Rupp photo that you were discussing. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It must be just me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and that 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 shot, um, Craig Craig got that, and uh, Craig is very very quiet. He doesn't. He is just so mild mannered and very quiet. And when I tell him, he, you got it. You got that shot. That's that is it. I mean, that's the best out there. It is the Holy Grail, and I said that during when we did Mysterious Journeys, and I, I I was serious about it. And Craig has tried to reproduce that in the two years since he took it, and I don't know how many thousands of photos he's taken in the same place, but he's not been able to do it. And in reality, it's being in the right place at the right time um, that you get the shot. You get that one. It, it, it's like Robert Kappa. Uh, during the Spanish Civil War, you know, you get these Pulitzer Prize-winning shots. Unfortunately, they don't recognize ghost photos for the Pulitzer. <laughs> if they did, Craig would get it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, sometime over the uh, the last year, I've, I've become known for my spear photography lectures and, and um, teachings. Um, and so that's really it's, this is a, the topic in the whole paranormal world I'm really into is the whole paranormal photography thing. Um, and what you described and how you do it is something I couldn't stress more enough on, on photography is that you always have to be mindful of what's going on in front of you. And sometimes when you're looking through the lens, you don't do that. So having that, you know, always having someone behind you, having that spotter, that that's just, you know, that redundancy that you don't get a lot of times, you know. Is it was that somebody there? Well, no, it wasn't. I didn't see anybody, and the person standing there with me didn't see anybody. We swear to it. That's something you just you don't see that often. And I think to really get that solid proof to be you know that's going to be accepted by more people, you need to have that that catch twenty two that that fail safe method. I've got a uh, caller here in the switchboard, uh, also from the eight one four area code. I don't want to leave them out and let them fall asleep here. So uh, let me bring them in quick with their, uh, their question. Hello, uh, I believe this is, is it Willow from the chat room? Is that you? Yeah, it's actually uh, Will zero zero. But Willow is fine, but it doesn't matter. Um, I'm actually looking at this picture now. Um, that's an amazing shot. And you used a infrared filter for, uh, okay. for that? You're looking at Craig's shot on Little Round Top? Yeah. Okay, yeah, Craig used an infrared filter. He used a Hoya R72, mm -hmm. and I believe the camera he was using was it was a Sony Digital, and I'm not sure of the model. It was a, an SL, a, one of the Sony Digital SLRs. All right, so it was one of the more expensive uh, digital cameras out there. Yeah, that's what he was using for that. But that's not that is not necessary. Um, the shot I got, the first shot I got it at. Devil's Den with the two apparitions in was actually a Sony. Uh, it was a DSC P52, one of the one of the cheaper, basically point and shoot cameras they had. And, and I just so, posted the uh, I just posted the link to that in the chat room. I was going to ask you that are that those are both apparitions. Yes, the the one on top and the one near the path. 
and it is blurry because I had it. I had it. It was a half second exposure. And I had the camera on a tripod, and it was it it was a cold, bitter, windy March day in Gettysburg, and and the wind vibrated the camera slightly as as I as I triggered it, and you have the the blur motion, and it's it's slight there, and you can see it when you look at the photo, but there was no one out there. It, there was I had two people with me. They were both behind me. Um, I'm not sure what shot we have on. There, there's several, and uh, the uh, the car was ours, and that was the only one there in the parking lot because we were the only ones there. And it was bare. Literally, there was no one around. You want to talk about Ghost Town? That was that was it at Devil's Den that day. Now, do you think um, shutter speed is is important, or? Just the uh, the you know the filter being more important. Um, like the it, filter is is what counts. What I do. Okay, good. I I do not I do not worry about the shutter speed. I I put it on automatic and turn the flash off and let the computer's brain and the camera decide yeah, that's when exactly I've got enough light to take the image. Yeah. That's okay. You got uh, any more questions, Will? Um, just one more. I mean, I, uh, I'm, I'm up here in central Pennsylvania also. Um, what would be some good areas where I wouldn't be facing a shotgun, <laughs> uh, up near like in Belfont, Center Hall area, Zion? Okay. Well, you, you're okay. Belfont, Center Hall, State College. Um, I'm going to flip you over to Patty because she's got the ghost stories of that area and she can tell you where to go. There are a lot of places on the the Penn State campus. Believe it or not, there are some really interesting ghost stories there that if you could go, you know, at a time when it's not, when there's an area that's not really busy, I know that's hard to do, but in the summer months it might not quite be quite as bad. Um, What's the name of the place that the uh, taverns out there that your friend owned, Old Oak Tavern, um, Duffy's Tavern, There's all these homes that are the old historic homes in Belfont. Um, if you were just shooting pictures outside those homes, you'd be surprised what you might come up with. Yeah, I actually asked Duffy's Tavern if they would let me, you know, go in there. I mean, I, I, I have found a place here where I'm at, and it's only a mile from my house, um, and I get uh, orbs, a lot of orbs, but you know, I can make orbs. I, you know, anybody can make orbs. I got to do this. Yeah, just rub, just rub the, you know, the wet grass and then take some pictures. Right. But um, where you see the orb, you take the first shot and and, and it's there, and they take a second shot and it's moved. You take another shot and then it's kind of moved away. It's not as bright. Mm-hmm. And then you take another shot, your fourth shot, and then it's you know moved back to its original position and it's bright. Now something like that seems not dust because you could tell us the same particle or orb. Okay. And if you if you're using your infrared filters or like you're saying you shoot with a tripod without a flash, um, if you're not using a flash, you're you're not going to get um, dust orbs because the flash is what creates those dust orbs. So if you're getting any orbs on and you're not using your flash, and especially well, no, this is this is without a- it. Yeah, I've been doing it at night, so I have been using a flash. Um, but just, like, I could go there and basically say, like, I use a laser, too, uh, like a pointer laser. And I literally, like, say, okay, go here. 
you know, and now they start shooting, and then you start seeing them come in, and then right. and then it's done. I only do um, well. This is one experiment that I do um, for 35 minutes, 45 minutes tops. You know, you, you get EVPs to direct questions, things like that. You know, I look at it more on the scientific, you know, aspect of it. Okay, why is this going on? I know what orbs are. You know, I know what evaporation orbs are, but these seem to be doing it, you know, almost on command. And you know, we've had actually had that happen. We were um, Scott and I were at a place in uh, New Jersey called Burlington Prison. It's a museum now. I'm in the basement with Craig Rupp and another member of our team, and we were seeing uh, an orb respond you know, to Craig and was moving, and it came out of the ceiling and just on off chance I said to it, that's really, really cool. We could see it on the cameras. It was moving on the camera. But I said, that's really cool, but people will just say something fell off the ceiling. Couldn't you come up out of the floor? And immediately it shot down along the floor and up up into the ceiling. And I'm thinking, well, it's, it seems to be moving. So I uh, go ahead and ask it to come out of the right-hand wall, and then I go ask, you know, out of the left-hand wall and straight to the camera. And it was for about 10 minutes. I know, Mark, you've seen this footage. For about 10 minutes, it it just continued to do what I asked it to do. That's intelligent. And then I had had a situation also, Will, where I was doing an investigation uh, at a a mansion down in uh, Maryland, and someone was filming me with a night shot trying to get EVP. So I'm asking these questions, and orbs are coming out of the wall, out of a mirror, and there are probably about four or five of them that just gathered around my recorder. Then he inadvertently left it playing, left left the camera on. When I played it back, they started gathering again. So, I, you know, you, you know, your mind says, geez, what was, do they have to touch the recorder, you know, in order for it to record them? Then do they want to come back and hear it? But at any rate, it, it indicated to me some kind of intelligent uh, movement, which dust usually doesn't do. Right. Yeah, because there's a little conflict that I have also. I, well, not a couple. Of, I, I really don't understand. Maybe you guys can help me out. <clears throat> is uh, actually when I did my first, you know, I call it an experiment. You know, I, I check the area, you know, make sure everything's, you know, as controlled as I can do outside as possible. Mm-hmm. And then I just sat down and uh, started chit-chatting. And then I just, I just asked the question, what happened to you here? And then you hear immediately right after, we died here on the EVP. So... You know, I look at that as why is he hanging around? Is he stuck? Um, is it just the you know information that's imprinted? You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's the same question we all ask ourselves. Yeah, what what causes them to to stay there? Uh, and that you know that's one of those mysteries of the of the uh, of uh, what we're doing here. We're not really sure. Is it you know is it just an imprint, a residual haunting imprinted on the in the walls and that 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 Will will repeat over and over under certain conditions. Right, but it's yeah. definitely intelligent. If anybody, oh, yeah. if anybody ever watched Superman, when he goes in, he puts the crystals in, and he's asking the right questions, and he's getting the the, the, the correct response. You know, right. you know what I'm saying? That's right. a little out there, but that's that's just something you know I wanted to compare it to, because I you know I mean if it was me, you know, and I got jumped by five Indians, and you know they couldn't even bury me, and they, they put a memorial up. Um, I don't think I'd be hanging out for, you know, 230 years if I didn't have to. Well, no one, no, you know, remember, time doesn't matter. 
you know, to them. It's not a, you know, because that's why they they appear in their uniforms, you know what I mean? Because time kind of stopped. Yeah, that's that's the whole area of quantum physics, which is, that's basically basically the science that I'm I'm applying to this, is quantum physics. Because it's the only physics that will, it's the only math and physics that will allow it. Yeah, I agree. Well, Will, if I can come in from a sensitive point of view, I will tell you that I've learned that these spirits usually come back to a place that holds some passion for them, whether it's a good passion or um, a bad passion as in somebody, you know, got killed here, but they revisit it. I don't know that they're there all the time, and I hope they're not, but I will tell you that they seem to be drawn to these points. This was a pivotal moment in their existence. And as though, even though, you know, you're sitting here logically going, I wouldn't want to be in the place where I was killed, that makes perfect sense to me. But for some reason, they feel drawn to these spots. And there's so many reasons for what they do. They do, they have so many different reasons for behind it. It's like us, you know, ask 10 people why they're doing what they're doing, they'll give you 10 answers. And the ghosts will do the same thing. They'll tell you, I made a promise. This is my house. Um, gotcha, gotcha. You know, I don't even know I'm dead. I understand that. I could definitely understand that. I could definitely understand someone not even knowing what's going on, but here's somebody ask a question. It could be in the case of a battlefield, too. You've got someone that was so passionate about about maybe winning, and and now they're upset that they didn't get a chance to finish the job. So, So they're back there still trying to win. Well, you know, Mark took me to, what was that battlefield in Virginia, Mark, you took me to? Spotsylvania, the Spotsylvania. Um, yeah, the um, the what they call the bloody angle. And one of the figures we met there was the man who had stolen the water canteen, and he right. felt like he couldn't go on. He had done a bad thing, and Mark's kind of cagey when he does this. He won't tell me exactly where I'm going or anything. So you know, even if I were so inclined, I wouldn't be able to know. And he will and he will freely tell you, and I don't mind. I am not a Civil War buff at all. I like the French and Indian period and. Seriously, I made him a deal a long time ago. You deal with the Civil War, I'll handle the Revolutionary. <laughs> and, and that's true. I'm not. Oh, you you just like the way the Indians dressed in the French and Indian War. That's why oh. I have seen a few of them at Fort Ticonderoga. <laughs> but anyhow, um, he took me there, and, and this one soldier kept telling me how bad it was and how he was so thirsty. And I finally looked at Mark and said, "You know, you're, he, where's the water? Where is there water?" And this guy was telling me he had stolen canteens from dying men, which sounds horrible, but he was also in a life-and-death situation. His guilt held him there. What do you guys think of – I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm I'm just – you know, I'm taking taking the opportunity because this is is a lot of information that greatly helped me Um, on the EMF. Because the area where I'm working, because it has, it's the same area all the time, because I want it to be controlled. Um, I think it's a natural EMF, and it goes between, it's between a 1.5 and a 4. And you can just hold an EMF meter and, and stand there and turn yourself in a circle, point it down to the ground, point it up to the sky, and you got a constant EMF reading. So I'm obviously with inside, you know, electromagnetic field, you know, that has me totally surrounded. So what's your thoughts on that? Is that uh, it doesn't mean anything? Just you know, it's just there. Or... Well, I suppose they're they're naturally occurring, um, like vortexes. Uh, well, there's 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 there's, po- there's power lines there, and I touched some other power lines, and this is the only place that is this saturated with um, 
high. Yeah, one point five is high even in electromagnetic field. Yeah. I mean, even you know, somebody is constantly in that. You know, it, that could physically affect them. All right. Mean, that's right. well, normally, you know, if it's my my experience with um, the EMF readings is if if they come and go. You know, one time you're doing an investigation and you have, you know, you're getting EMF uh, readings in one place and you go to the same place 10 minutes later or an hour later or two weeks later and, and they're different. That means that there was something paranormal there before. All right. So like, so, so I like last night I was there and it was only, it was, I put in the same spot, my meter shooting between a 1.5 and a two, but at times it's been up to a four. Like if I'm. Like tonight, I can go there and I might be up to a four. You follow me? And maybe uh, spike up to a five. Yeah. Are there any buried um, lines there? Electrical lines? Well, there's electrical lines overhead. Well, that may be. And, yeah, that's, that may be. and that's where I thought that that's definitely what it is. I even asked somebody how long they've been here, and he said something like 70 or about 70 years, I think he said. Yeah. Well, that may but be. But I've tested you're... other ones, though. I've tested like power lines where I live, and I don't get that. You, you, you know what I'm saying? I don't oh, get yeah. that. That I don't get that same effect, and it's only a mile away. So a lot of it depends on the shielding of the wiring too. Uh, if something's got better, better feeling, shielding or more up-to-date wiring, you're going to get less EMF than if you're in a uh, uh, an older building or a place where the uh, uh, shielding has been worn by weather or something like that. So right, and that's why you see in a lot of these older houses that. Um, I know I investigate a lot of houses built in the 1800s. Um, the wiring maybe was replaced once in the early 1900s. Um, the shielding is gone on them, and you get a massive EMF field. Yeah, um, I've also investigated newer houses where the EMF is almost null around the outlet that you usually get high readings around. Well, yeah, I was just going to say about the shielding. Um, in modern mo- the modern construction, you have virtually no electromagnetic fields around the wiring until you get extremely close to it. You get into the older houses that had the gutta percha wiring, the, 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 the cloth wrapped, it's extremely high. And and that tends to be a lot of the problems. Um, you just have to trace the wiring. You want to look at it not from a paranormal standpoint, but from an electrician standpoint when you go in and look at these places. So when you so when I point it to the ground and I'm pointing it straight to the ground away from the wires and I'm still getting a high reading, is, is it bouncing off the ground? Um, I try to duplicate this someplace else and I can't. It, it, you follow me? I, I mean, it's like, it's like the power lines would be like totally non-insulated and just putting off a really high EMF. And no, no, no two places are going to be the same, so you can't really duplicate it somewhere else. No, I'm yeah, trying to find some place nearby that I can get a high EMF that's similar to that. Yeah, but but you could ha- you have junction boxes, you can have transformers, you can have a whole lot of different nexuses that that could be accounting for it, and you really can't duplicate it. It's just a matter. Of, and and the thing is, we we do look for the changes. Uh, if it's this number at one time and it changes, then why did it change? Was something turned off, turned on? We want to look for consistency in the power, and then uh, then if it changes, that becomes interesting. Um, a lot of the MS can be explained away, and and you just have to look for it. And it's not just simply a matter of saying, 
oh, is there an outlet here? Is there a transformer here? You really got to get down into it because you got to get dirty, look in the basement, and see where the wiring is. Well, I kind of looked at the EMF because there is a theory out there uh, that if there, even if it's man-made, if there's a high EMF, or if it's between a certain range, it actually makes it easier for these dimensions to communicate. It, this yep. is a wide open. This is a, this is a wide open science. Nobody knows anything for yeah, sure. So that theory could be possible, but that's why Josh and I always say, don't ever just trust one piece of evidence. Don't so, don't so, take EMFs alone. It, that's just one one tool to use, and that's it. And and there's so many other tools in the toolbox you need to employ. This is just an indicator, and that's simply it, an indicator of a possibility. You know, you're just throwing so much out there that you, you got to be careful with with relying on one piece of equipment. You can't do it. There's a so much. You you got to look at temperatures. You have to look at the history. You got to bring it all together, and you have to sit down and actually rationalize it and go through it. Because otherwise, you're just you're just following some electricity. That's it. Yeah. No. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Will. Yeah, and then and then I'll be done. I, I'm just you know I'm doing these experiments and. You know, like I said, they're they're very very controlled as much as I can do outside. I, with the EMF, I was just curious if that was be, you know I heard a theory that that was a was beneficial in some way, so that's how I kind of see it. But no, I, I I use I use other other pieces of equipment. You know, you know actually there was a, a, a experiment done in Wales in I believe the 1970s where two electrical engineers took a 400 year old inn that had a history of being haunted. They set up voice-activated equipment and, and what have you throughout the building and video equipment. Then they sealed the building, and then they bled electricity into the building slowly over the course of, I believe, 48 hours. What they found is that the building suddenly became extremely active. There was a lot of phenomenon, including old Welsh being spoken, a clock that had no workings inside of it that was the supposedly would chime from time to time, actually chimed, that kind of stuff. So there, there is a little preliminary evidence that possibly if you lucked into a place where there's a bleed off of, net, of EMF and it's just the right amount, it could maybe spur or trigger, particularly if it was, it was a residual haunting, which is what mostly was happening in this building, um, you know, a residual haunting to, to play, basically giving it just enough power to play over and over again. Yeah, because actually that, that's probably where I, where I heard it because – I heard it secondhand from a colleague, and he said they did this experiment where they they created an EMF, yes. and, they were, and they and they were within it, and they and they seemed to have gotten some results. There was also, but then you had to, then you needed you know the next person to do it over and over and over again. Yeah, they also managed to do that once on a um, in in also I think it was in England where they did it on a little bridge. They, it was a little stone bridge where supposedly a horse and wagon was seen clumping across it, and it would disappear on the far side. And they did a similar experiment and had some decent preliminary results. I did not ever hear what the final conclusion was. They just, I never saw it published anywhere. But there's a good possibility that it may just be enough energy to feed that particular activity enough that it would just trigger it over and over again. All right. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot for answering my question. I really appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you calling in, Will, and keep on uh, keep on listening. Absolutely. All righty. Thank you.
Okay, uh, we got about 15 minutes of the show left, and that's it. Um, where do we go from here? Uh, any, you guys got anything that you definitely want to get out to the uh, to the listeners here before the the show comes to an end? Do you, uh, are are you familiar with our virtual conference that's coming up? That's what I was going to ask you. I got an email on that. You were doing the first virtual paranormal conference. Yes, right. I wanted to know more about that. Right. It's uh, happening on November 13th uh, through the 15th. And it's kind of neat because uh, you, you can actually, you know, how we, you know, you've, you've been to conferences where you get in your car and you got to drive six, eight hours or maybe get in an airplane and fly and then you got to stay overnight, you know, 200 bucks, 300 bucks. You got to have food, then you pay for the conference. And uh, this is actually going to, you're going to be able to do this from the comfort of your own home. You can sit in your pajamas and go to the conference on your computer. And we have some absolutely fantastic people who are going to be available as speakers. And, um, for example, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, uh, Patty, and Scott are going to be uh, uh, on uh, available. Um, Rob Conover from the Midwest is a, is a great psychic. He just wrote a book. Ron Collett is going to be there. Eric Altman. And um, uh, several, Craig Talesa, who uh, does a lot of stuff on the uh, uh, the, the uh, equipment and everything. So we have probably right now 18, 16, 18 speakers, and you'll be able to also download their speeches for about a month afterwards if you sign up for it. And to get the full information on it, it's uh, the website is www.supernaturalsummit.com. And we have spaces for uh, vendors, you know, people can get booths there and uh, they can listen to all these people. So that's that's going to be one of the interesting things happening on November 13th through the 15th. Um, and then also next year we're going to be doing a, uh, a cruise, a paranormal cruise. That, Ooh, that uh, sounds like fun. Yeah, that's going to happen in August. <laughs> and uh, we're starting off in London and uh, going to going to Dover. And uh, possibly, well, we're definitely going to do the, the Jack the Ripper stuff in London, London, and then we're going to do the um, uh, possibly some uh, the airfields, the United U.S. airfields over there from World War II, which constantly you hear about these young airmen wandering around on these on these airfields, abandoned airfields, and they were going all the way around the British Isles, uh, stopping in Edinburgh, maybe the most haunted city in the world, right? Some people say that. And um, uh, Dublin and a couple other places. So that's going to be exciting too. And and uh, all these are you know information and links on all this stuff is available uh, on our website, which is ghostsofgettysburg.com. Just like just like my book, ghostsofgettysburg.com. All right, I'm putting up all these links in the chat window here, so everybody can uh, keep up with them. Uh, now, these presentations for the summit, are, are they going to be live at first, and then you're just going to record them so they'll be archived, or uh, are they all pre-recorded? Or? It's up to the presenter. A lot of guys are going to pre-record their stuff. Um, for example, Eric Altman has got an idea. He wants to go to where a uh, – you know, he's uh, the Bigfoot expert, and uh, he wants to go to a, a place where a Bigfoot has been sighted in Pennsylvania and do some recording there. So he's going to record his – However, the presenter can present live if they want to. There will be a 15-minute, after the presentation is aired, there will be a 15-minute Q&A where people can 
uh, write in and you know ask questions of the of the person uh, as an expert. So and then then you can also within I mean you can download this stuff as well for the next month if you uh, sign up for the conference. So. That sounds real interesting. There you go, Josh. You're going to have to learn the technology behind all this. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, you know, I can't ever get enough of these paranormal conferences. I love putting them on um, and, and, and speaking at them and organizing them. They are probably the best way to learn. I So many people, I'm sure, Mark, you get it, and you know, everybody gets this question who's been in the field for a little while. How do I learn what you do? How can I do it? Um, right. You know, and the first thing I usually tell them is find these conferences, look online. Um, and now this is another great tool. Um, sure, of actually going out and participating in the investigation with a group, and it, sometimes it's hard to find a group that's going to say, you can tag along and watch what we're doing and we'll teach you. These are really some of the best ways to get out and, and learn how to work an EMF meter, how to do infrared photography, how to do anything within the field. Because, every you know, the field has gotten big enough now where there's people who, um, and I know, Al, you're going to jump on me, and this would specialize in different um, sections of paranormal. And you can nitpick. You say, I want to be an EVP person, so I'm going to listen to all these EVP lectures. And if you have, you know, and, and pick and choose and really learn from this, it, it, they're, they're great tools. And anybody listening who isn't an investigator and wants to get into it, I highly recommend that you, you, you look into this um, online conference, especially now that you know, you'll be able to stream it um, a month after it's aired. Uh, it's something you got to do um, if you want to learn how to do this. Cause it, it, I, I heard Ron Cole, like, you great friend of mine. I've spoken to his conference. He's spoken at mine. He's a past guest of the show. You can learn a lot from him. I learned everything I know from him. So uh, definitely, and all your other guests sound um, like amazing speakers. Uh, that's going to really be worth it to Idol. Well, I, I agree with you, Josh, on the, on the point that uh, the uh, uh, conferences are great things, great tools if you want to learn. One thing I've noticed, because I've been you know, probably attending or speaking at these conferences, conferences for 10 or 12 years now, and um, the 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 people attending the conferences have um, you know before it was just people that were casually interested. Now we have people who are really interested. College professors. Uh, I had a, a sitting judge at one of our last uh, conferences, and he he came and he wanted to know more about this stuff. We have uh, uh, you know people that are uh, on a on a you know really scientists who want to know about this stuff. So I think it's a it's a great thing that that, uh, that we've got going here. Definitely. I, I've always said the greatest way to learn something is to start your own radio show, which is why I did. But uh, <laughs> I have learned I have learned more sitting here in my living room since May than uh, than I have ever learned before. And uh, Josh, you're lucky we're almost out of time, or I would jump all over you about that specialist uh, baloney. I oh, know. Um, yeah. Uh, we, it, a few weeks ago, we had a show where we uh, we had no guests, and we just discussed back and forth about specialists in the in the paranormal field, and 
and I argued, uh, how can you be a specialist in something where there's no concrete evidence of what works and what doesn't? So how can you proclaim that you know more than somebody else does? So anyway, that that was a whole other show. But uh, Patty and Scott, you got anything uh, you want to announce, uh, website addresses, things like that? Well, we certainly have our website, which is com. People are more than welcome. We are doing some um, some tours here in central Pennsylvania. They are small, personalized uh, van tours um, of Blair and Bedford County this fall, and you can you know get a hold of us there or um, contact us and let us know if you're interested to find out more information. We are going to visit Mark in Gettysburg on November the 7th, um, and we're doing a bus tour down there to Gettysburg, and it's going to be a lot of fun from Bedford County all the way down. Um, beyond that, we also do the Mysterious Journeys, and I think we're doing James Getty's weekends this year with Mark and Carol. And I have to tell you, Mark was saying about having a judge come to one of the weekends. Um, we are really – it's a wonderful resource because you're given almost unfettered access to – I believe Mark is one of the best paranormal investigators in the world, and not because he's my friend, but because I've worked with him. And um, Lainey, Lane Crosby, who is a, a wonderful um, medium as well and a dear friend. She's amazing to work with, and I'm, I'm honored to be able to call her both a friend and a colleague. And we all are working together, and we're good friends, so it becomes a, a lot of fun. And you get to ask questions and, and learn, literally standing right beside Mark and, and learn. And Scott's there to teach his technique and, and a lot of other paranormal information. So you are just literally saturated by the time it's over and we take you on ghost hunts and i know you can go to mark's website and see all of the different ones that are scheduled for this coming year and for 2000 all right we got some coming up too and then yeah yeah sounds like a busy schedule i i know i got to gettysburg once uh probably shoot probably 10 years ago now and i was there three days and didn't even get a chance to see it all uh took a ghost tour. I don't know if it was yours or not, but the next time we get down there, I'll make sure it's definitely uh definitely yours, Mark, and I'll uh, hopefully hopefully you'll be around at the time. I can shake your hand and uh and we'll definitely uh do some do some snooping around. I that that just the the Farnsworth house uh, really uh, intrigues me as well. So Well, there's always our place too, you know, the what we call the ghost house where we run the tours out of. And it is uh Civil War era and it's we have probably four or five resident ghosts in there. It's a lovely place to go um, talking to ghosts, I have to tell you. One of my favorite people of all time, although she's dead, is, is Hans uh, Mark's house there. <laughs> and who might that be? <laughs> it was Mrs. Kiss Miller, and she was, I believe, the longest owner of the house, Mark? Yes, yeah, yeah, she owned it longer than anybody. And um, she's a little tiny spitfire of a woman, and she says exactly what she thinks, and I just adore her. Um, she's great for doing EVP with because she never holds back. And if everything else fails, I know that Mrs. Kitzmiller's there, and, and she'll talk with Mark and I, and we get a lot of EVP from Mrs. Kitzmiller, don't we, Mark? Yeah, she's pretty much the star of the show. Yes, and she deserves it. Yeah. yeah. Isn't, that, isn't that funny? Uh, I, I kind of get that. I run tours and, and conferences out of a, a location up here in Massachusetts, and, and it, it is funny. You almost um, grow a relationship with um, your resident spirit. Um, I know. That's true. That's true. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. I, I have a hard time describing it to people. Um, when I do the tours or I'm doing some sort of a, event at my at the mansion, it's the Houghton Mansion here in North Adams, and 
and I can say I can tell which beer is present just by the the feeling of the room. I can say this is Mary, this is John or or AC in the room, and they're like, how how do you know? I've I've been here so long. I, I'm almost on a, a personal level with um with these three resident ghosts. So and they and they almost think I'm crazy when I'm doing it, but uh. You know, it, it's 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 a weird feeling that you know you're on a personal level with these spirits. Well, you get to know their personalities, and that's what makes it so interesting to me. Is that you know I do get to know the personalities. They are people. Um, Mrs. Kissmiller and I have become friends over the years. And uh, there, I, for example, a couple of years ago, I was there and I was staying at the apartment, and uh, something um, had upset me, and I was sitting there crying, and my recorder kept falling on the floor. So Scott said to me. Maybe she wants to talk to you. And so I picked the recorder up, and I only had the recorder on for maybe a minute. I basically said, Mrs. Kitzmiller, if you want to talk to me, I'm here and I'm listening, and I'll, you know, I'll certainly be welcoming anything you tell me. And we played it back for Mark later. I just sort of sat there in silence for a minute, minute and a half, and you hear her very softly but clearly say, don't cry, which is exactly what I had been doing by myself in the living room while Scott was in the, another room just kind of crying over a situation that was worrying me. So she, you know, she reciprocates, and that's what makes this so real. Because, you know, why would she? She cares. Yeah, it's she's remarkable, and and you know that that the EVP is that clear. I mean, it's class A. So, but um, yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. So we kind of have a a laboratory, an indoor laboratory ourselves with with the uh, house that we run the ghost tours out of there. So, Jeez, be, between between having. Uh... Having a haunted house at your disposal and then a whole haunted battlefield, boy, I envy you. <laughs> kind of puts me in yeah. a good place, yeah. I know. I thought I had it good just having a haunted house at my disposal, but the battlefield's even better. Well, the best part is they fought right outside my door too. There was a uh, they put a rubble barricade up out in the street there on Baltimore Street, right at Breckenridge, where we're located. So. We we literally are part of the battlefield too. I mean, the Park Service doesn't own us, but we're we're part of the battlefield. Yeah, that's really one of the things that makes Gettysburg so unique. You see people coming to go to the battlefield, and what they don't realize is where they're sitting to have dinner in Gettysburg, and when they're going down the street walking on a on a walking tour of some sort, and when you're going to Marks or any of the places down there in the in the center of town, this was battlefield, and so you're walking on the battlefield the whole time you're there. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, on that first day, they pretty much pushed everyone right through the whole town, didn't they? Uh, Absolutely. So, when the Union so, line yeah. came back, the Confederates were chasing them, and they were within a block, and they're firing at them. So Union soldiers are falling and being killed in the town. And then once they got settled there on uh, Cemetery Hill, that's where the Confederates built that barricade in front of our house, and they're just trying to, you know, take a pot shot that anybody stuck their head up. So. Yep, definitely. Now, now I got to get back there. Now it's just uh, it, it's starting to percolate here. So <laughs> I, it is. You know, I love I love Gettysburg. I've said I've only been there twice. It was great, and I didn't even do any ghost hunting while I was there. Uh, my personal favorite is the Masonic Memorial, um, just because of my Masonic background. But um, great stories, a, a beautiful place. Anybody you know who has any remote interest in ghosts or history. Or, like I said, both have to go and visit. Definitely, I. 
we're going to have to pack our sleeping bags and figure out how to get down there. Uh, yeah, because I can't summer. afford a room. For <laughs> 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 Halloween, you probably aren't going to find many rooms. No, I can't imagine I would. But like, but like most ghost hunters and investigators, I'm booked straight through to Halloween anyway. So. Well, you know what? All right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I always tell people the best times to come to Gettysburg are the first three weeks in June and the first yeah. three weeks in September. Everything's open, the weather's nice, and there aren't that many visitors, not that many tourists. So that's those are two good times to do it. I went in the first week of August, and it was about 105, 100, 110 degrees in the uh, shade. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I was standing around the Pennsylvania Monument, and I could feel my shoulders just cooking in the heat. It was it was ridiculous oh yeah, it was yeah. so hot i remember just standing in the shade of the monument thinking i'm not leaving this one spot <laughs> and we actually <laughs> drove around the battlefield because we couldn't walk we had to stay in the car with the air conditioning on I remember well, yeah. we got about 30 seconds left so i want to thank all of you for coming on this has probably been our our one of our biggest shows to date here and uh it was such a pleasure uh the three of you giving us your time and, and sharing with us, and I can't wait to meet you all in person. Well, thanks for having me, Alan. Thank you very much. Yes, okay. thank you very much. Sorry for the phone problems, though. Hey, we were having them, too, so no problem there. We'll be back next week, everyone, Sunday uh, night, 7 p.m., right here, blogtalkradio.com slash haunted. And uh, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but that's why they call it the Bipolar Paranormal Show. So, goodbye, everybody. Big orange monster with not much hair and teeth on his lips. You just...